This is The Coffee Break, a podcast on the state of the networking business where we discuss vendor moves, news, conduct random analysis on product and positioning, and look at the business of networking in the time it takes to have a coffee break. Well, we think. I'm Greg Farrow. I'm the host of the Packet Pushes podcast, and you might know me as Ethereal Mind uh, on the Twitters and on the blog as EtherealMind.com. And with me today is Andrew. Andrew, tell people all about you. Hi, Greg. Uh, this is Drew Conry Murray. I'm the director of content and community at Interop, and prior to that, I was editor of Network Computing. Yeah. And so, what we're doing here? Let's have a talk about what we tell the people what we're doing here with the coffee break, which is sort of like a work in progress title because we haven't totally decided on a name yet. That's your fault, by the way. Yes, I know. I'm falling down <laughs> on the job already. Uh, but let's start with the, with the coffee break. The, end. Um, the idea is, is that you've been you know, involved with in the press and the journalism game for an awful long time, and you've sort of seen a lot of this happen over the years. Yes. And I thought what we could do is you and I could go backwards and forwards on things about what the vendors are doing and what these moves do, focus on the business issues, less on the technology. I mean, the technology is still important, right? Absolutely it is, but um, it's certainly not divorced from the, the, the business requirements, uh, both from the vendors and customers. So it, it absolutely makes sense to, to look at this stuff. Yeah, and so that's the idea behind it is that we look at some news and views and discuss you know, what's actually happening. So why don't we kick it, just get off on the foot that we want to have, which is the middle foot, and talk <laughs> about the Dell and Cumulus partnership, which came out this week where Cumulus Networks announced that they were going to partner on bare metal switches with Dell. Yeah, uh, Dell is now going to be a reseller for the Cumulus Linux OS, uh, which is an operating system for switches. Um, so Dell will sell you uh, a bare metal Dell box, and you can choose to put uh, the Dell Switch OS on it, or you can load it up with the Cumulus Linux OS. So interesting move because FTOS, FTOS, which is the operating system that Dell runs, is actually a pretty good operating system, I thought. I've used it a bit and uh, has all the marvelous features. So it's the full featured operating system, I think. It does things like MLAG, LAG, it does ECMP and all that, things that I don't think Cumulus is ready to do yet. Right. I think uh, Dell is uh, taking a chance here. They're trying to, I think, um, be a little bit aggressive in 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 the development of networking, you know, all the pressure that we're seeing from bare metal switch movement, from software-defined networking. Uh, so Dell is coming at this to say, all right, let's let's see if there's something really here and, and let's try to get out in front of it instead of maybe being disrupted. And also puts them in the play for cloud providers who might want to come back and buy the Force 10. You know, obviously Dell's networks is the Force 10 gear we used to know. And yes. Force 10 had a lot of patents around the hardware aspects of the gear especially to do with the motherboard designs and how the chips are glued onto the motherboard. Not the chips themselves so much, but the actual boards themselves. They had special patent portfolio around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, Dell, I, I talked to um, Dell about this move and they said one of the reasons is because they are hoping that it gets them into some, some web scale deals, maybe in financial services or other areas that um, we're thinking about going bare metal uh, and now they can put a Dell support contract behind that. Maybe they're a little bit more comfortable than, than going with you know an Acton or a Quanta. Yeah, that's true. And they get to sell a hardware maintenance contract. That's right. <laughs> well, everybody's got to get a little something, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, it, it does lower the cost of the product, which makes Dell attractive to some people. But they get a sale instead of no sale, but it also matches what's happening in servers. Why not sell the bare metal switch? 
Sure. I mean, I think it's it's a really interesting play, uh, and it's also great for Cumulus. Cumulus as a startup uh, to get a reseller like Dell behind them uh, opens up new opportunities, and it you know does that magical sort of validation that that uh, startups are, are looking for from established companies. All right. So on the topic of bare metal, Open Compute Project, lots and lots of noise, smoke, and smells, and uh, nasty smells. <laughs> <laughs> nasty smells would be an accurate summary, wouldn't it? Really, you know. I, I I saw an awful lot of na 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 coming off from some of the Facebook people. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that. You didn't. I Frank, must be looking in the wrong places. Well, uh, uh, so uh, Mark, uh, what's his name? The guy in charge of Facebook. <laughs> Zuckerberg. Yeah, him. Right. That 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 Mark. Yeah, I don't pay attention to CEOs. They're all very interchangeable, right? One CEO, <laughs> another CEO. They come and go every twelve months. So who cares, really? Um, so Mark Zuckerberg got up on stage, or somebody, one of those people at that sort of level, and said that Facebook saved one point two billion dollars over the last ten years by using open source, low cost hardware. Uh, you know, it's those kind of numbers are always hard to vet because they're not going to let us look at the books. Um, but I, I could see it happening for sure. Mm. But that's I, real know, money. It's it's very real money. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's half that much, that's six hundred right. million saved over a period of time. That's a lot of launch money. It is uh, a lot of launch money. So I mean, not that I mean, Facebook could easily afford plenty more, but really, um, that's a lot of money. So they're saying. Um, at the Open Compute Project this week, Microsoft joined in the fun. That's right. Uh, they're opening up uh, a design um, and, and bringing it to the Open Compute Project. Um, yeah, I think Microsoft is looking to get a little bit of that, you know, we're open, we're cool kind of patina to hopefully rub off on them a little bit. Which coincides with Microsoft's CEO announcement, Satya Nadella, who yes. was part of Microsoft's cloud and is now the CEO. And he has shown every signs of being open because he has been leading the Azure initiative. So that might actually be a real thing. It's entirely possible. I mean, I certainly don't doubt that Microsoft sees the benefit that, you know, uh, Facebook would or Google would of being able to, you know, save a lot of money on on server design by by going, you know, open and, and also customized. Um, so I, yeah, I don't see there's there's really no downside for Microsoft to participate in Open Compute because they're not a server vendor. They don't have anything to lose in that regard. And if it makes them look a little more open and a little more innovative, then why not? Yeah, and having another server design. I mean, I know um, over at the Packet Pushers, we recorded a couple of shows with Peter Lepukov, who was responsible for a significant part of their networking infrastructure design. And he was explaining how he used just low-cost switches with an OS, which had just the features that he wanted in those, and they were using BGP and various things. To really, really operate at scale, they could simplify the hardware down to something much, much simpler than what they're doing today. And to see these servers open-sourced is sort of from Microsoft's side is very interesting because it sort of says, you know, Facebook's made a server design that looks like this and Microsoft's done it like this, and maybe there's some choice there for enterprises to say, hmm... I've got choice now. Maybe I should be looking at this. Yeah, and that's the question is how much of this uh, will be relevant to an enterprise hardware buying market? Um, and I've been having a discussion via the comment section on Information Week with some folks about um, I- I'm of the position that it's not really going to have that much of an effect. Um, you know, some innovation may trickle down here or there, but I don't see the general enterprise customer really 
needing an open design all that much. Mm, I disagree with you there. Right on, go for it. Yeah, so um, so if you look at the servers that come from HP and their Gen 8 series servers with all of the magic features, mm-hmm. Fairy Dust, you know, Unicorn Tears, and Cisco, you know, Cisco UCS <laughs> with their fancy NICs and their converged storage infrastructure, I mean, they are uniquely valuable and they are good things, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but they are also expensively good things. And sometimes when you actually just want to drive the kids to school, you don't actually need a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a Rolls Royce. What you actually need is a beat up old banger that cost me three grand that I'm going to ditch at the end of the year. And I think there's more than one use case in an enterprise data center. There are times when you've got that Oracle database, which is mission critical, and you're quite willing to drop 20K on a chassis with eight blades in it to be able to run that. But there's also a lot of workloads in a data center that are what I call junk loads test dev, load, whatever. And do you really care as long as you get to where you want to be? Absolutely. But I guess what I'm saying is, why do I need an open compute design to get a, a junky server when, you know, servers are pretty cheap and I can go on Dell's website and have a couple shipped to my office, you know, with a credit card? Because these ones go even further down market from Dell, from mm-hmm. the low cost Dells. They simplify out, they remove all of the extraneous rubbish. That's like there's all this extraneous stuff on a server that nobody needs. Do you really sure. want? If you're not I, using I, Fiber Channel, do you want Fiber Channel NICs? Do you even want to pay for the I/O modules? Like even if the slots are empty, you still got to pay to have the motherboard support the I/O modules. Right. I guess what I'm saying is, it seems like at this point the infrastructure to get those uh, kinds of custom or, or open designs onto market as quickly as enterprise customers might want isn't there yet. There's there's still a little oh, bit no. of ramp yeah. time. Yeah, it'll take a year or two before the factories in, you know, wherever they are, mostly China, we assume, will start to churn them out in volume and that is a channel. And I think it'll take another couple of years for enterprises to realize that throwing away a server is better than having a maintenance contract. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't need to fix these things when they're cheap. <laughs> <laughs> it's like buying a like when I buy a second-hand car, right? I go down the road to uh, Joe Dodgy Car Dealer, and I say, "Give me a car," and I buy a car for under two grand. If I get a year out of that car, I've got my money out of it. If it blows up at the end of that year or in that whenever it is, I just junk it and go and get another one because it's not worth repairing. Sure. Yep. And enterprises aren't used to thinking of that, but then they're also used to spending half a million on a mainframe, you know, or half a million on a micro. Or if you're buying a, a UC, you know, a chassis. You know, a blade chassis, and it costs you twenty-five thousand for the chassis and eight blades. Well, you need a maintenance contract because you can't just go and buy another one. But if you can buy eight servers with the same performance as an eight-blade chassis, and you can buy it for eight grand, and you lose one, you just well, bugger it. I'll buy twelve of them and have four spares. Yep. Anyway, there's a lot of change that has to happen for that to work. I'll agree. Cisco ACI in the news as ever this week, especially if you're a networking person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, has been announcing ecosystem partners, and there's an awful lot of them. So this week they announced um, security and application delivery partnerships with A10 at Catbird and Palo Alto Networks. Mm-hmm. Do we care? You know, um, I, I think these are the kind of checkboxes that the big vendors you know, need to, to show to customers that they're rounding up interesting partners to work with and who knows what a partnership means other than we're going to use each other's logos and PowerPoint slides. Um, it, there, there could be more integration than that. Uh, I'm sure, you know, 
companies like Catbird and Palo Alto would be very happy to get themselves into some deals with uh, a Cisco customer. So mm. I'm sure there's going to be some meat behind it. Um, you know, but the, these relationships usually aren't exclusive. I know Palo Alto has relationships with other SDN vendors, so it's um, yep. good for Cisco, good for Palo Alto, but not necessarily earth-shattering. Uh, I think, you know, Cisco likes to, I think they'll they'll take it as demonstration that, um, you know, one of the, the the names of the game in SDN is having a, a suite of applications that can run on your network platform. And so if they've got some cool security stuff that they can say, hey, we've got APIs, they've got APIs, they're going to talk, everybody's happy, then, you know, that Cisco wants to see that and, and put that message out. That's true, and there was also an announcement this week from some of the other partners listed in this announcement that they'd partnered with uh, Citrix to do exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's not forget that <laughs> Citrix Cloud Stack is a viable competitor. Uh, and VMware, Palo Alto, what, three or four weeks ago was announcing that they had partnerships with VMware too. Right. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I mean. These these partnerships aren't exclusive. Yep. Um, but, and you know, and what's more, they work today. You can go and buy a Palo Alto firewall and put it in your network. <laughs> <laughs> That's a partnership of sorts, I guess. Yes, I guess so. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I, th- I, I think this is the, the box checking and it has to go on and we'll probably see more of it going forward. Well, we had sort of, I think, we're starting to come full circle when we were talking about you know open compute and, and pricing pressure on hardware. And then if we tie that back to what's going on with Cumulus and Dell, you know, open compute is, seems to have a lot of focus on servers, but I think that kind of pressure will also start coming into the, the network here as well. And I'm curious what your take is there. I published a blog post this week on my blog where I'm now categorizing hardware, network hardware, in four categories. There's um, or yeah, three categories, right? Brevet, Medius, and Maximus. In other words, there's what I call the small networking movement, which is the mm-hmm. network should be as dumb as possible and the operating system should be simple. And loosely, I would put bare metal switches with Cumulus Linux into that sort of camp. Sure. And, and you know, this is like the, the minimal movement. And then there's like this medium category where we have, which is what your networking is doing today. So you go and buy a device, it's got some smarts, it's got OSPF, oh, and how it's got a whole bunch of APIs which an SDN controller can drive. And some of them are OpenFlow and some of them are more advanced like Cisco's 1PK or OVSDB if you're going to be doing things like VMware's NSX integration. Mm-hmm. And I call that medium-sized. And then just recently this week, we saw Pluribus um, escape from startup mode and... Uh, announce their version of the switch and that's very interesting because pluribus is actually um, a switch as an application server Mm -hmm. i don't know if you did you follow the pluribus announcement i did not actually okay so pluribus what they did was they took open solaris and then wrote the whole operating system into the switch control plane so instead of just saying um we're going to run the minimum smallest piece of linux we can do they went why don't we take the whole of open solaris and the whole platform use a clustering package, take the kernel module that comes with the Broadcom or the Fulcrum chipset or whatever it is, put that into OpenSolaris so we've got the switch, and then turn the whole thing, the whole network into a server. Mm -hmm. And they have a customer called Cloudflare. Now, Cloudflare is a content delivery network, one of the biggest in the world. They were the people who were... Uh, came to fame when Anonymous uh, put up a website and people tried to take it down and Cloudflare held it up. And uh, it's what I use to front my blogs. And the heart of the Cloudflare network is a pluribus switch, which they use as an API, a network API. 
they use Juniper routers and Pluribus switches. I know about the Juniper stuff from other places. And Cloudflare has this application platform that says, I want you to blog for these for these URLs, block this. And mm -hmm. the Pluribus switches implement that. And when you say switch, are you talking about a hardware switch running this open Solaris or is it yes. a server that's acting nope. as a virtual switch? It's, no, a, it's a switch. switch. It's a hardware switch that's actually kind of got a server inside of it. Okay. Running open Solaris. Mm -hmm. So kind of that's what I call maxi device. So right out here on the left-hand scale is an ODM running, you know, Cumulus Linux with ONIE and the very limited, the bare minimum, enough of it just to get some IP flowing across it in the simplest possible way. Sure. Right out here on the other scale is the network as a server. And I mean, the Pluribus actually bonds it all together into a single cluster. So if you've got 10 switches, they'll cluster together to look like one network. So you just send a query in, and the API is actually floating amongst the entire cluster. Hmm. It's, That's interesting. It's a really different approach to the way things are going. And uh, I'll be interested to see what the industry makes of that because it's not um, not in the wheelhouse, if you know what I'm saying. It doesn't make doesn't sit where everybody else is. So, you know. <laughs> no, definitely not. So, do you have? Are they going after like the Cloudflares, the big web scale companies? Is that what they're after, or are they also trying to go to the enterprise? I don't know. I don't. Uh, I didn't get a sense of that. You know, by the time you cover off the technology piece, you've sort of lost. You know, <laughs> I can only withstand a briefing for about thirty minutes maximum. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, once I get to the sort of the forty-five minute point, I'm sort of I'm done. I have to move on to the next thing. So we didn't get to use cases, but I, I suspect that you know you've got to be able to envisage the network as an application, not as a device. Mm -hmm. So OpenFlow sees the network device and all the applications done up in the controller. We'll come to open daylight in a minute. Cisco says the device is kind of like a smart thing. We don't actually want to tell it how to do it. What we want to say is just do this. Um, and it goes off and does that. And the device itself has its own smarts and capabilities and that's what it does. And then right up here at the other end is Pluribus. And I think there's a lot more companies in this space we're going to see who haven't escaped out of stealth yet who are doing that. Mm -hmm. Netronome's another one. Netronome. Netronome was a company I spoke to in the last few weeks. They're doing uh, fancy NICs. They have this special chip, an FPGA, uh, that uh, Cisco, uh, Intel didn't want, and they turned into a high uh, network adapter, which can terminate 15 million flows on a server. <laughs> so, pretty interesting stuff. It is interesting. And, and I think sometimes that's an issue. You can have something really interesting and innovative, but um, it's it's so different that it, it may not catch. That's true. Speaking of different, Open Daylight announced <laughs> Hydrogen. Yes, Hydrogen. <laughs> Finally shipped, what, a version one? Is it version one? Version one, yes. So uh, fit for purpose. Everybody needs OpenFlow, in my opinion. Stop wasting your time with all these thick things that I just talked about. <laughs> I'm still convinced that OpenFlow is the better way to go at this point in time. I can see the value of the other ones, and there are times when you know a customer should consider that, but I still think OpenFlow is the better solution for most people. So seeing Open Daylight ship hydrogen is good news. Yes, and uh, getting it out the door fairly rapidly as well uh, after the, the whole open daylight uh, construction came together. Mm. And Red Hat's on board, and I see Sienna and a bunch of other, they've really, a couple of things happened. One is Red Hat's on board with ODL now and have put together a team and done some serious hires. They've hired a bunch of the um, 
developers to cut code for Red Hat. Mm-hmm. And they've lowered the, the barrier for startups to join. So it's now down to $1,000. I think it was, what was it, $250,000 before to join? I don't recall. Yeah. But it's substantial. It was very large and chased a lot of startups away. I remember, that's right, it was, it was cash and you also had to commit a, a large number of developers to mm-hmm. get in through the door. Mm-hmm. And now they've reduced the cash and the developer requirements so startups can have a voice at the table if you're a startup. That's good. Hmm. We'll see. I mean, companies like NEC this week committed all of their costs, all their virtual tenant code to open daylight. Really? Hmm. Interesting. So a lot of so hydrogen actually comes in three parts. There's a basic, which is, you know, you get started with. There's another version which is the virtual tenant, and there's another one which is the all singing, all dancing um, we've got it all kitchen sink version. Yes, the service provider version. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see that was part of a packaging decision that I was talking to some of the people about that a few months ago. And the idea was that this these packages aren't hard and fast. They're just there to help you get an early start. Mm-hmm. So if you just want something to get play with, then go and get the basic. If you want to do some virtual tenant networking like an enterprise, get the VTN. And if you're a service provider, then the suggestion is you should probably look at the one named service provider. Yes. Which is- uh, and based on my understanding, the the enterprise tier one, uh, is it's coming with an, an IBM package for the uh, the network overlay component. IBM Dove. D-O-V. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, so you can do overlay networking with OpenFlow. Who mm-hmm. knew? Who knew? It's not like overlay. <laughs> you don't have to be a five-letter vendor with billions of dollars worth of money to do an overlay network. Hey? That's right. <laughs> so I'm curious, you know, about the whole. I think the Open Daylight project is great. Um, I agree with Neela Jacques, who's from VMware, who's now helping to run Open Daylight. That um, you know, code talks. If you are talking about SDN and want to prove something out, then show some code and get people, let people get in the lab and start banging on it. So I think that's great. Mm. I'm just curious, you know, Cisco is a major backer and it seems like they're going in a lot of different directions with their SDN movement. And so I'm curious to get your take on how Open Daylight fits in their overall strategy. Um, so Cisco, somebody once described, a, a senior Cisco person once described to me that Cisco is not a super tanker going in one direction with everybody inside the boat. Mm-hmm. Cisco is much more like a thousand rowboats, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought, uh, it took me a while to sort of understand that. But the answer is, and and I, I did speak to some Cisco executives about this and said, how can you have, you know, you've got the Cisco ACI strategy, which is one version of SDN, which is yes. very interesting. Maybe we'll talk about that another day. Um, then you've got the DFA, which is another version of um, orchestration using SDN-like concepts, very yes. much just for the data center. Yes. And then you've got Open Daylight, and they've got a commercial packaging of Open Daylight as well. And you've got a number of other components which sort of live in a pinwheel around those three software bundles around, you know, do you want the CATS, the Nexus 7000, the Nexus 9000, Nexus 6000, Nexus 5000, Nexus 3000. A sort of you know which hardware goes with those is it any all is it a mix is it a partial mix so it's very confusing the answer is cisco wants to have a solution for whatever the customer wants so if you're a customer and you say well i want open standards therefore i want open daylight cisco's got a package for you for that if you're saying that you want to be able to do something that's got fancy features and does all these wonderful things like mlag and fax and supports my ucs servers and gives me all the confidence and 
then Cisco ACI might be the right problem, might thing for you because it'll also, it looks like at this point ACI is going to start to look to control campus and Wi-Fi and WAN and firewalls and it'll orchestrate UCS servers and whiptail storage. It's, all, it's an all-encompassing um, strategy to, from mm-hmm. what I currently think. Could change my mind. Uh, I don't know exactly. <laughs> you reserve that right. Well, Cisco's not briefing me around the ACI strategy because of a critical blog post a while back. And so I'm not getting the information to be able to make those decisions clearly ahead of what's you know what's publicly available. Mm-hmm. But and then of course you've got DFA, which is strictly about orchestrating in the data center. So if you're right. a customer who you know, and DFA works with a lot of existing assets, it's really just an orchestration tool. So I guess it comes down to which one of those are you, Mr. Customer? Do you want the all-encompassing strategy, or is that a little bit too um, constraining? Does that feel like we're locking? Well, why don't you go with DFA because that works with what? No? Okay, well, what about Open Daylight? We've got something for each of those SDN strategies that you might want. And, of course, don't forget we support VMware as well. So if you want to run VMware in a sex, we've got our Nexus 1000V strategy. We support Hyper-V. We've got a strategy for Hyper-V. We've got... You want to run OpenStack? We've got our own OpenStack modules. We've got that for you as well. Do you want to run CloudStack? We've got a partnership with Citrix. We can do that. Cisco's not betting in any winner here. It's giving you all the choices, I think. Mm-hmm. So a thousand robots. A thousand robots. Yep. And so the and the Open Daylight code base was uh, a significant chunk of it came from Cisco's one controller software. And from IBM's Dove. Mm-hmm. So Cisco made a lot of noise about it, but by and large, Open Daylight is an IBM initiative, and far more code came from IBM, I believe, than Cisco. Although it depends on who you ask whether they'll tell you that. <laughs> 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 so if you talk to the developers in the Open Daylight project, it moves around a little bit. So maybe yeah, there's a there's more than one reality there. <laughs> so I'm curious. Another question that comes to mind with all this activity and also kind of ties back to the the partner list that the vendors are rolling out. If I'm someone like Palo Alto Networks, how do I make the call on where I'm putting my development resources to integrate with all of these various incarnations, the VMware, the Open Daylight, the Cisco ACI, et cetera, et cetera? Well, they do the same as what they're doing today. They do them all. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, that's what they do, right? So F5 is a partner with everybody. Sure. Juniper, Brocade, you know, extreme networks, you know, whatever you like, those those relationships will stay the same. In terms of software development, you know, all of the vent, everybody, all of these management platforms are publishing their APIs, and the vendors just have to choose which one of those APIs gives them the best advantage. Mm-hmm. So they might invest. So if Open Daylight looks like it's getting critical momentum, they'll divert more cash and more developers into the ODL integration than they might say, you know, one of the other. SDM platforms like Nuage or Contrail or right. API. You know, whoever's winning in the race is going to get the most. There's only one winner in technology. Apparently, we don't have the capacity to support a diverse, multivariate <laughs> ecosystem of products. We can only have one. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's I, I, for the most part, I think there are, we end up with multiple competitors. And right now, there are too many in the SDN space, and that's going to collapse eventually. But I think we'll come up with two or three major vendors and slash architectures that are going to fight it out. I agree. Well, I finished my coffee. How about you? Yep, my tea has gone cold. Yeah, gone cold. All right, well, let's call that. Another. Let's call that a coffee break. Very good. All right, so that's a work in progress. 
title while we polish the fiber optic cables and generally consider the next batch of press releases and briefings and altogether the vendor of that will come down upon us in the next week or so uh, andrew and i will be back andrew will tell us what are you going to be doing in the next week or so anything exciting uh, I am gearing up to participate in the Open Networking uh, Foundations Conference. Uh, I'll be a judge for SDN Idol, so I'm going to be looking at a bunch of submissions from SDN startups, which should be interesting. Oh, so I should get a spangly suit? <laughs> <laughs> SDN Idol, I can see myself there in a big Elvis suit with, with – no? That's the, I, I can see it. You know, I, we're actually looking for the Simon Cowell type, and I think you would fit that role very nicely. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know about that. But anyway. <laughs> okay. uh, and I will be in San Jose in a couple of weeks to do Network Field Day. If you're there, keep an eye out because I'd love to meet up with you. I'll be having drinks on Sunday and Monday. So if you want to meet me, uh, please get in touch and uh, go back to work. Coffee break's over. <laughs>